Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for the last four weeks, we've been looking at Gideon in the book of Judges as we have continued our series on the book of Judges. We are going to uh, conclude, I think, this week with Gideon, and then we will be ready to move on to the next one when we come to our next program. Uh, but we started with the whole series on the book of Judges uh, weeks ago, and we're continuing this series. The one thing I love about doing television is that I'm not in a setting where I don't have time to unpack a lot of the details in these studies that I have to kind of overlook when I am in a uh, local church setting with a limited amount of time. So we are able to film these and share them with you for your uh, study. And, and I, I personally enjoy these studies, and I trust you're enjoying watching them. Uh, this has been an ongoing series, and before I jump in here and reintroduce it again, let me just quickly tell you that if you hear today's program and this is the first one you've heard, you thought, man, I am way behind on what he's teaching because I can only review so much. Uh, let me encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and watch these on demand. And I'm amazed as we've been traveling that, uh, uh, and I've asked people to let us know where they're watching from, that a large viewership of ours is coming from YouTube. What's, what's amazing to me is the shift of technology has literally given us a worldwide audience because of the power of a camera. Uh, we will be returning again next year to Brazil and also to South Africa where video and uh, stuff that we've done from the studio here is literally reaching around the world as well as all over this country. People are showing up in our meetings who've been watching our video stuff, and so that is available to you. Now, let me tell you, the easiest way to do that, if you'd like to watch it in review, is to go to my website at lenhiles.com. It's, it's on the screen. It's very simple. And in the upper right-hand corner, there is an, a YouTube icon. And if you just click on that little insignia in the upper right-hand corner, it will take you as a direct link to our YouTube channel. If you subscribe to that channel, uh, you will uh, be notified every time we upload a program, and we usually upload one every week after we've aired it on national television. So that uh, I, there's all kinds of video on me on YouTube, but my channel is linked to my website, and you can go there and watch. And if you also sign up for that YouTube channel, when we do live webinars and seminars, you will be able to watch them on our YouTube channel, especially if we do like a webinar from our TV studio. It's really a, a, a powerful, powerful tool for us, and you can do that. Also, while you're there, you can go to uh, the upper right-hand corner. There is an icon for our podcast, which is the audio portions of the program. And I think even the podcast now is, I think, even video on the podcast or audio. You can watch it either way or listen. And then there's an RSS feed for Android devices up there as well. It looks like a little... Uh, a little Android dude there that you can just kind of click on and go. While you're there, you can look at uh, our website. There's a whole host of books and materials on there. All of my books are available from Law to Grace, The Kingdom Paradigm Shift, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, Second Edition is on there, Unforced Rhythms of Grace is on there, and The Great I Am is on there. They are great Christmas gifts, stocking stuffers, perhaps you may want to think about 
uh, ordering some of them for your family or friends during the Christmas holidays. We wish you a very happy holiday season. I think when this program will air, it'll be very close to Christmas. And we want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts to all of our partners who share with us even your financial gifts that have helped us take the gospel around the world. I think we are in our getting ready, I think, to start our 14th year of being on national TV in January, and your partnership has enabled us to do that. And for that, we are very grateful. We want to say to you, we pray God's blessing upon you and your family uh, for this new year and to say Merry Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And that's why we're all here is because of what he has done on Calvary's cross. That being said, let me jump right back into the Word of God and review just a little bit. The book of Judges opens with this key thought. Now, after the death of Joshua. The Hebrew name Joshua is the name Yeshua. It is the English name we translate Jesus. So the first moment I read that statement, now, after the death of Jesus, they execute some judgments. When I look at the cross and I look at the finished work of Jesus in the New Testament, after the death of Jesus in the New Covenant, he gives his 12 apostles a great commission. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile. And he tells them before his crucifixion, uh, you will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So after the death of Jesus, he delivers the gospel and the judgment that was exacted at the cross. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he's getting ready to be lifted up. He said, now, now, not in the future, but now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judge, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. This spake he concerning what death he would die. And the death of Jesus was the judgment upon all men and upon principalities and powers and upon the prince of that world. That judgment was finished. The work of Jesus was finished. It was completely accomplished. Everything we need that pertains to life and godliness was delivered to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we must, by faith, appropriate what was provided by grace. And I've covered that back several weeks ago about the objective and subjective sides of the gospel. The objective side of the gospel is what God did in Christ without any help from you. That's called grace. The subjective side of the gospel is when I appropriate by faith what he already did by grace, and together they became the dynamic duo which executes in the visible realm what he already paid for in his finished work. Under the old covenant, faith was believing God was going to do something, but in the New Testament, now faith is a substance. I'm not believing because I think God is going to do something. I believe because he's already done something, and so even Hebrews 11 talks about author faith, uh, but the Hebrews chapter 12 said we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So Hebrews 12 is about finisher faith. And so all of those men, even in Hebrews 11, did something in the visible realm that was a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus, whether it was Moses who kept the Passover, powerful picture of redemption, or Abraham who offered up his son 
on Mount Moriah and said God will provide himself a sacrifice, and a ram was caught in the thicket. That's a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Noah's ark is a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. But these men did something in the visible realm was something that they were hoping for. But now we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we're not believing because we believe God is going to send a lamb. We believe because he already has. And as we have reviewed through the book of Judges, and we saw how that every one of these men do something in the visible realm, that's a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And specifically, as we are dealing with Gideon, he is hiding wheat and threshing it and putting it under the wine press. Well, if you've got wheat and wine and bread and wine, those are pictures of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, except a corn of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides alone. And we know that on uh, the eve of Jesus's crucifixion, he sat at the table with his disciples and he said to them, with great desire, have I desired to eat this Passover? And he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and said, this blood cup is the blood of the covenant. And I won't drink wine until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Of course, we know on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, they popped the cork on a vintage of wine, had never been drunk before, and they had a Holy Ghost party. And so we see, you know, the Lord said something to me years ago. He said, you ate your way into this problem. You can eat your way out of it. And I said, Lord, what do you say? And he said, well, it all started with an eating disorder in Eden's misty garden, when I said, don't eat from that tree. And so man ate from that tree, and the result of what he was feeding on produced what it produced. But after 400 years of bondage in Egyptian, and, and you see the, 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 the progression of the fall of Adam until they find themselves in uh, Egypt in bondage, and, and Moses is about to deliver the people out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of bondage. And God says to Moses, here's the strategy. Tell them, let's eat. Put blood on the doorpost of the house. Take a lamb inside the house in the night roast for fire and eat the whole lamb. And the more you feed on the lamb at some point at midnight, it's going to hit you. You get enough lamb in your belly and enough blood on the doorpost of your house, and you're going to get up at midnight and say, I can't live in this bondage anymore. I was born to live in a promised land, and you're going to get up and leave what you've been in bondage to, but it's all based on what you're feeding, what you're feeding on. And so when the Lord begins to call Gideon and his men, let me let me begin in chapter 7, because we, cha we covered chapter 6 pretty well in the last four segments. So then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, remember, God had just reduced from 30,000, 22,000 people went home when Gideon said, all you that are fearful and afraid, just go on home. And now he's down to about 10,000, and God tells him, take the people to the water, because the separation is going to come at the water, and we're going to see who can drink water from the hand. Now, I shared with you last week how the hand is symbolic to me of the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And that, you know, uh, 
I, I talked about how in this book titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace, which I highly recommend that you get and read, there's an entire chapter there where Jesus encounters a man with a withered hand. And he does this miracle on a Sabbath. As a matter of fact, that whole entire book on unforced rhythms of grace cover the six miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath day to show you what flows from this incredible posture called rest, because the Sabbath is the day of rest. And uh, when you see uh, even the angel of the Lord speaking to Gideon in the gospel or in the book of Judges. Uh, he calls the name of that place, the Lord is my peace. So the gospel of peace, or the gospel that flows from the hand that's not balled up or fisted or ready to slap you upside the head, but a hand that has been withered and powerless is restored on the Sabbath day. It speaks to me of what the understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ and his rest will produce as it flows from ministry. And you say, well, give me something more. Well, go to the, you can go to the book of Revelation. He said, and I saw in the right hand uh, of the one, the one, he said that in his hand were the seven stars. Well, the seven stars were the seven angels or the seven messengers of the seven churches that were in Asia. And so John said, when I fell down at his feet like a dead man, he laid his hand on me. And I believe the hand that he's laying on us is the hand of ministry who have been, uh, you know, the sevenfold message of God, if you will, that flows from rest, that's going to cause us to rise up on our feet as one man. There is such a call and such a need for unity, I believe, in the body of Christ and such a harmony. And I believe that when you come together as one man, you know, the Bible says if any two of you will agree. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Greek word for agree there is the Greek word that it, it looks like our English word symphony. If any two will gather, or three of you will gather together and create symphony, then I will be in their midst. In other words, where there is unity and union, God can create power because there is a corporate anointing that flows when we come out. Years ago, I did a message titled, The Art of corporate anointing or the art of the apothecary where I talk about how God brought the five ingredients together. That the anointing oil that was on the head, poured on the head, was not just behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment that flowed from the head down to Aaron's beard and off the skirts of his garment. For here the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. So the commandment of blessing flows from people who gather together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment. And in that series that I shared, I talked about how uh, in the Old Testament that the anointing oil that was made did not fall. Somebody had to create that anointing, and they took five ingredients they took cinnamon and cassia and, and uh, a hint of olive oil and a galbanum. In other words, they took the, the ingredients and blended them together. And he said, thou shalt make it a holy anointing oil, a compound. Hear that word, compound, 
a compound anointing after the art of the apothecary. So you see, because when I realized that my gifting may be apostolic and prophetic, but somebody else has got a pastoral gift or a teaching gift or whatever your gift is, when you bring your gifts together and blend them together, what I saw even in the art of the apothecary was that there was bitter and sweet, but when you bring the bitter and the sweet together, it's like when you bring cinnamon, if you taste cinnamon by itself, it is very bitter, but if you mix it with sugar and butter and put it on some bread, you're going to have some cinnamon buns, and it's a whole lot different. It becomes a compound. If you take sand, you take water, you take uh, concrete, and you take gravel and mix it together, all those ingredients by themselves have a certain flow, but when you put them together, they create concrete or they create a compound that you can build something on. And so when I believe that God is calling a people, and I realize that, I, I, I'm telling you, I believe God is calling the local church back to authenticness and back to, you know, moving away from a lot of the stuff that's just junk in our local churches. I understand why people are leaving by the droves the local church, but I believe God is still calling for a people to come together, not just as an individual, because you can, you as, as an individual, you cannot blend your spice with somebody else and become a part of a corporate compound anointing, you know, that, that, and, and, uh, that becomes a compound anointing. Because when we come together in the corporate gathering, I tell you, there's something about being in a gathering with believers where there is a compound of faith and worship and faith that's created and an atmosphere is created where God can release the miraculous. And learning how to blend as a body as one loaf. And you know, when, when the scripture says in the uh, book of Corinthians, Paul the apostle grabs hold of that and he says, and we being many, we being many are one bread. There is this individualism out there that separates itself from any kind of a corporate gathering. And I realize that the church is not the building. So you don't have to write me your letters. I posted something the other day on Facebook, and certainly, just as sure as you do, everybody that don't, that's ever been hurt springs up and starts talking about, well, I've been abused. Well, get out of that church and find one that does, or start your own. That don't usually cure a lot of that complaining. It's when you start your own, you find out how difficult it really is. But if you can't, if there's not one there, then find one that is and get in there where you feel like you can become a part and you can plug in and you can serve in that house or you can be a part of that house in whatever dimension your ingredient is. If you make bread, my mother used to make homemade bread all the time and it takes flour, it takes yeast, it took water, it took uh, shortening or lard and she would blend that together and she would mix it together. And in that blending, each thing lost its identity, but as a whole, it became something greater that could become the bread to the hungry and the drink to the thirsty. And it is like the art of the apothecary where you blend your anointing together and you bring together something that can defeat the enemy because separated, I mean, you know, uh, 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 you know, a uh, 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 people divided against itself cannot stand. I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for the church. I'm concerned for our nation. We are so divided on so many levels that we, you know, even in our posts, sometimes on our social media, we we, we can never say what's right with something. There's always what's wrong with the church. And then we wonder after we've bashed the church, which is the bride of Christ, by the way, and after you're getting done insulting the bride of Christ, wonder why nobody wants to show up at church. It's because all we ever do is preach about what's wrong with it. But there's some stuff that's right about it. There's something that's right about getting your family and being in the house of God, not just to be a kingdom consumer, but to be a kingdom contributor. 
and to bring something to the table of your spice and your anointing. And, you know, I'm reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes where he said there are dead flies and the ointment of the apothecary. The, the ointment of the apothecary was the anointing oil that was made by a guy that was called uh, the apothecary. And at the Greek word for apothecary, there is the word pharmakia, which is the English word we translate as pharmacy, pharmaceutical. And so what I began to see was it, it, sometimes these guys who were creating these uh, 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 anointing oils and the incense for the tabernacle uh, was from the Greek word pharmakia, pharmaceutical. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, if there were dead flies in that ointment, the anointing had to be wrong because Beelzebub is the Lord of the flies and he's not going to be anywhere near the true anointing. Or if he gets in the new anointing or he gets in that anointing, he's going to be destroyed by the anointing that breaks the yoke. And so, uh, you know, but he's talking about there that the dead flies are stuff, I think, that are divisive and divisions that are among us that we fight over everything and then wonder where God's miracles are, right? It's because we're sitting there even scrutinizing the songs or how somebody flows in the gift. I think sometimes we just need to get over ourselves and realize God wants to put something together that has the power to really defeat the enemy. So when he began to call these people, he said, the Lord said to Gideon, this is verse 2, the people who are with you are too many. That and, uh, and he said, uh, and I don't want you to get the glory for it. So he takes them down to the water, and uh, they were able to drink water from the hand, this fivefold ministry that I talked about. And so when they, uh, when they begin to uh, defeat the enemy, what I want you to see before we run out of time here is that uh, it says that it happened the same night, verse number 9, that the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have delivered into your hand. I have delivered them into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites uh, and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. There's the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was, men telling, there was a man telling a dream his, to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered him. See, this is the enemy talking. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand. God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. He put a trumpet into every man's hand with an empty pitcher and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise and watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord in Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. 
Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord in Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. And when 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his commandion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia near Zerah, as far as the border of Abel, Nehola, and Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together at Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and pursued uh, after the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout the mountains of Edom, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize them from the watering places as far as Beth, Bera, and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth, Bara, and Jordan, and they captured two princes. In other words, they defeated the enemy. But what I want you to see was they go down with 300 men. And the enemy already knows he's defeated. See, I think it's amazing even when the children of Israel got ready to go into Canaan and the spies went in, the, the spies who were the enemy said, we heard of you when you crossed over the Red Sea and we knew our hearts failed us. The enemy knows he's defeated. But the church don't know the enemy's defeated because we've all, we preach a big enemy rather than a defeated devil and a dead old man and wonder why they don't believe it to go take it. But I'm going to tell you, when God got finished with, with Gideon and his faith, with his fleeces, with his uh, 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 God confirming who he was, he was willing to take 300 men with nothing but a clay pot, no scud missiles, no weapons, no swords, no bows, an earthen vessel with a candle inside of it, with a treasure in an earthen vessel, and with a trumpet. Now, to me, again, these are pictures of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ because the trumpet in those days came from a ram's horn. And a ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. So when you start to preach a message through the death of the male lamb and you are sounding a trumpet, what you're doing is declaring the enemy has been feeded, defeated. Jesus was lifted up and he said, he said, he said, now is the judgment of this world come. Now is the prince of this world judged. Not somewhere in the future, but now is the prince. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And this spake he concerning what death he would die. He was drawing all judgment into himself. All the forces of darkness, all the forces of evil had converged upon the cross that day. And Jesus took it down into death to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So the devil already knows he's defeated. He just needs somebody that'll come against the camp and begin to sound a trumpet and sound a word that says the death of the lamb was your death. That's what it said in Egypt when the blood was put on the doorpost. It did not say your house escaped. It said there's already been a death exacted here and the death of the lamb was the death of the firstborn. And when you preach that message through a ram's horn, it is going to break out the outer shell of this earthen vessel and the light and the treasure that's within is going to scare your enemy to death because the manifestation of what's true of you already is going to be what scares the enemy until he flees from before you seven ways. And can I tell you that what the enemy saw was a loaf of bread rolling down a hill that crushed the tents of Midian. If we could come together as one man, and we being many, one bread, 
We are on a roll, and the enemy is scared to death of people coming together in unity. Behold how good and how precious it is for brethren who dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment, and here the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. I'm telling you, this book of Judges is powerful. It's about the redemptive work of Jesus, and I'm thankful we can share it with you. We're just about out of time, so we're going to have to quit again for this time. God bless you. Thank you for joining us, and let me just give you a moment to go to the website, and if you'd like to give a gift and you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, there's a place there where you can give through our PayPal portal, through your credit card or debit card, or you could set up a one-time monthly gift if you'd like to, a one-time gift or a monthly debit, whatever you'd like to do. Or you can send a check or money order to the address on the screen, or you could call the number on the screen and someone will take your call. But do it today. God bless you. We need your help. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.